and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 192. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the man with the plan, Mr. Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Mike. I'll tell you what, the plan today is to carry on our series on happiness, which I'll tell you what, I'm already learning a lot and thoroughly enjoying. How about you? Me too. I mean, technically we should all be 10% happier from our episode uh, two shows ago. Uh, we then added in a little reflection. I think that gets us to 15% happier. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, today I think we're going to shove it into the 20s, maybe 30% happier. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I totally agree. Today, listeners and members, we are digging into, as show 192, Tal Ben Shahar's happier. Learn the secrets to daily joy and lasting fulfillment. I mean, Mike, remember when we had our show with Dan Harris and we were reflecting on the title and (laughs) that was, that was getting you and I pretty pumped. I think Tal Ben Shahar is doing a thoroughly good job in at least having the runner up for the most promising title within the series. I think you're right. I mean, who doesn't want to, you know, a little bit of joy in their day but then on the long-term kind of uh, thing, lasting fulfillment, I mean, mm. they're so big and amorphous. I mean, I'm really looking forward to breaking them down into things that I can do so I can get a little bit of sparkle in my day and feel good um, for the longer term. So I didn't know a lot about uh, Tal Ben-Shahar and his book called actually titled Happier. I didn't know a lot about it before we studied it for the show, Mark, Mm. but it promises some really good thinking, some really practical things that you can do around happiness. But more Mm. importantly, perhaps, he really challenges challenges us in a very moonshots way that happiness really isn't pleasure. There's a lot more to it than just that, isn't there? Yeah, I I think as we were finding out within Dan Harris, it was uh, almost – uh, having a moment, you know, he had that fantastic, I mean, not fantastic for him, but very vivid uh, story where he had this this panic attack and then he went right. on his own sort of self journey to understand a little bit more about what makes him happier. W- what we're now going to see as we dig into the world of Tal Ben-Shahar is I think much more of a science approach. You know, he was a, a teacher at Harvard University and he ran the most popular life-changing course, as some people described it, to uh, all of his students. And it was highly oversubscribed. And I think that revealed the intention that a lot of us have when it comes to this amorphous, almost strange ideal of happiness. And as we're going to hear from Tal during the course of today's show, he reflects on studies, research, references, maybe even some advice from some of the uh, self-help individuals that are out there. And he does this fantastic job of trying to weave it all together so that you and I, readers and listeners, we can all get a better understanding of this concept of this perhaps crazy idea of happiness and how to be yeah. Yeah. How good, how good. And he definitely... What I love about him is 
He has this idea where he's got the scientific academic body of work, the practical application, and also he's not proposing to us the easy path, but definitely the path of more meaning. So Mark, I'm keen to get stuck in. Where do you want to start? Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. If, if there's any ever a show that's all about moonshots, it's going to be today's show with Tal Ben Shahar. So let's hear from the man himself talking about how he reversed his unhappiness and it also introduces you and I to the idea of selfish or selfless. I became interested in happiness because of my own unhappiness. It didn't make sense to me because looking at my life from the outside, things looked great. But from the inside, it didn't feel that way. We were told from a very young age, whether explicitly or implicitly, that it's all about success. It's all about the attainment of the next goal, of the next milestone. And yet, achieving these goals does not bring us to a happier place, certainly not in the long term. And I wanted to figure out what is it, if anything, can lead us to a better, happier, more fulfilled existence. And that is what I've been doing over the past 30 years looking for answers. Now, what drew me to studying happiness was, of course, first and foremost, my personal experience. I wanted to feel better. I wanted to be happier. One of the issues that people have with the pursuit of happiness is that it's a selfish endeavor. Or is it? Because when I pursue happiness, when I contribute to myself, I'm in a much better place to also help others. The problem, though, doesn't lie in the pursuit of happiness, but rather in our concepts. So is it selfish or selfless? Well, it's neither in both. It's self-full. Selffulness synthesizes the best of both worlds of selfishness and selflessness. And they work together, reinforcing one another in an upward spiral of generosity and benevolence. Because we have mirror neurons in our brain, and when we encounter an act of generosity that has an impact on us, we're more likely to then act generously and benevolent. So giving is contagious. Now, There is a double standard when it comes to cultivating happiness. In every other endeavor in life, we understand that we need to practice. We need to put in the time. Similarly with happiness. It's not enough to read a book or hear a lecture or come up with an idea, as good as it may be, for us to become happier. What we need to do is invest. Invest time and effort. Invest in finding meaning in what we do in life. Go out and exercise. Engage with text or nature. Invest in our relationships. Not just rely on the fact that there is good chemistry or connection. We need to put in the work. When we put in the work that is based on science, on evidence-based ideas, that is when we increase our levels of happiness. And because happiness is contagious, we do the same for others. What an interesting uh, juxtaposition of helping yourself so you can help others. 
Mark, I think the risk when we talk about this is that it can all become so abstract. Mm. What kind of stuff is do you think he is encouraging us to do? What habits should we build so that we can be more self-full? Well, I think immediately when I hear Tao break down this or his his interpretation and, and theory on happiness is similar to what we've uh, understood on the Moonshot show when it comes to management of people or leadership. Mm. You cannot necessarily be the best leader unless you work on yourself. Mm. You have to study it. You have to put it in practice. You have to, uh, like Ken Blanchard would say with my one minute manager, encourage feedback as well as receive it. And I think what's interesting uh, and possibly in a direction that I did not appreciate we would go in with regards mm. to this emotion of happiness. Mm. Instead, it's something that you physically work on. It's a practice you put in the hard work. So when it comes to, like you say, habits and, and what to do, I think it really comes down to the essential uh, rules of treating each other like we would like to be treated, you know, as, as step one. Don't blame others for perhaps the stresses that you might be having, because at the end of the day, they probably have stuff going on as well. So mm. it's, it's down to giving each other benefit of the doubt, because that's probably what you would like yourself, don't you think? Yeah. And um, it reminds me of when we talked about Adam Grant, and he talked about give and take, and there's givers, takers, and mm. matches. I think there's this really interesting idea about you know, fulfillment and, and satisfaction and feeling, uh, complete and, and, you know, all of that, uh, sense of realizing your, your potential comes from giving, sharing and helping of others, but doing so in a way where you help yourself so you can help others. And that's like this big continuous loop. Mm. Like, as somebody who is a husband and a parent and someone who works in teams, I'm very mindful of in order to contribute, you know, I have to put others before myself, but in order to, to be somebody who is generous and supporting that I need to be in a good place because mm. if I'm exhausted, I just won't be able to bring my best self and I can't support people or I'll be just too, I'll just be too tired to, <laughs> to help. <laughs> and when, when, um, Tal Ben-Shahar has been, you know, a lot of people have questions about this idea of this intersection of selfish, selfless, which is called self-full. It's a balance. Um, he, he shares this quote from the Dalai Lama and I want to read it to you. And I think this really kind of, uh, points to something uh, like if your intentions, you want to do the right thing, you, it cannot come at too big a cost to yourself because in the end you don't end up doing good. So here's the quote from the Dalai Lama, caring for others based on only on your sacrifice doesn't last. Caring must also feed you. Mm. Now what I take from that is um, when I look at, uh, the work that I do uh, with colleagues and partners and clients, what I invariably love 
what I search for is the capacity to work on something that not only that I enjoy, but to be in a place where I can create some sort of value for the other person. It might be that we build a product together, or it might be that I share with them some techniques for them to build a product. To me, that's the, the giving or, or, or uh, in the context here um, of being selfless. I'm, I am giving, I am teaching them. What I get back is working together, enjoying this, but also uh, in order to enjoy that loop of giving and taking, I need to make sure that I am sleeping, eating, exercising, that I don't have too much work on. So I kind of see this self-full as the capacity to be generous, to care, to help people around you, to support people around you, but to do so in a way that you get something back from it, the delight, the satisfaction, sometimes it's acknowledgement or praise. If you're always giving and you get nothing back, I think that's the enemy here, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. I think if you are not getting any, um, you know, like the Dalai Lama would say in the, in the quote you just read, if you're not getting anything back, if it's not feeding you, if it's not feeding your um, soul, I guess, mm-hmm. then you're only doing it for the sake of other people, which is, of course, good in itself. But mm. when you can, similar to a habit, when you can see or feel or give yourself the mindset that, you know, treating others as in, in a better way and caring for them then has a, a positive effect on yourself. I think therefore you're more likely to do it again because you have started to built in that ability to notice it is a positive right. reinforcement on yourself. And therefore it becomes more of a habit. And easier, right? Easier. That's what we're looking for, right? Yeah. So I think like a flag here is like, if you find yourself um, professionally in a team where um, the giving comes at a huge cost, or if you're in a personal relationship where your giving comes at a huge cost, I think that's a flag to open up this book from Tao Ben Shahar Mm. and ask yourself, hmm, Am I experiencing enough joy and fulfillment? And it can start you on a path of investigation to ask yourself, are you, are you kind of caring for others based on mm. only your sacrifice or are you getting fed too? And I think that that's a great place to start. A second place you could go is to become a, a member of the Moonshots podcast. Mate. You could become our patron. And, Mark, it is so exciting. We are almost at the tipping point. We're almost at 50 members. I know. Uh, and we get the chance to welcome a new member uh, today. So I think, Mark, it is time to shine a light on all our wonderful Moonshots members, right? Yes, the individuals who are learning the secrets to daily habits, motivations, as well as giving us uh, all the support that they can. And we, in turn, give them a lunar-powered dose of good karma. Goes out to Bob and Niles, John and Terry, Niall Marjolin, Ken Dietmar and Marjan, Connor, Rodrigo, Yasmin and Lisa, Sid, Mr. Bonjour, Maria, Paul and Berg. Kalman and David, Joe and Crystal, Evo, Christian, Hurricane, Brain and Samuela, Kelly and Barbara, Bob and Andre, Matthew, Eric and Abby, 
Jose and Joshua, Chris and Kobe, Damien and Deborah, Gavin and Lasse, Tracy, Steve, Craig, Lauren, Javier, and Daniel, our brand new member. Welcome once again to our members and our supporters. Thank you for giving us your uh, support as well as your uh, ears every single week and every single month. And Mike, all it costs is just a simple cup of coffee a month, isn't it? It's crazy. And we really appreciate uh, your support because it helps us pay the bills. And, um, you know, as our shows get more and more popular, the hosting goes up, the bills get bigger. um, And uh, it is so exciting to know that uh, we are our work is being appreciated by you. Actually, it feels really good for us. There's our little secret to daily joy is right, Mark. We, we see all, you know, literally 55,000 people every month, just on the podcast, not on, not including YouTube and the website Mm. are tuning in and we love it, uh, to see that because it it tells us when you become a member that we're creating value, that you want to support us in this endeavor as we get up very early uh, every Tuesday morning to record the show, don't we, Matt? I mean, it's like this is uh, in the early wee hours of a Sydney morning, isn't it? Well, well, and similar to what you were saying previous, Mike, with regards to caring for others and, and trying to be the best version, you know, you and I, we're not going out late at nights, are we? We we turn up fresh faced and rosy tailed (laughs) to record our shows. And that's really just about putting our best foot forward, isn't it? It really is. So thanks once again to all of our members. Thank you to you, Daniel. Uh, We really do appreciate your support. And if you do want to support us, head over to moonshots.io, go to the members section and there you'll, you'll get connected to Patreon and you can do all of that goodness with just a few clicks. What else, what's going to take you a little bit more than just a few clicks is getting through some of the challenges in life. And we've got a couple of clips now where Tal Ben-Shahar is going to really kind of set up maybe a challenging idea that uh, f- this pursuit of happiness isn't as easy as you might think. There are only two kinds of people who do not experience painful emotions. The first kind are the psychopaths. The second kind are dead. There is a false understanding or expectation that a happy life means being happy all the time. No, learning to accept and even embrace painful emotions is an important part of a happy life. And the study of painful emotions is an important part of the field of happiness studies. My name is Tal Ben-Shahar. I'm a student and teacher in the field of happiness studies. There is a very important concept that was introduced by Nassim Taleb, and that is anti-fragility. Anti-fragility is essentially resilience 2.0. Resilience 1.0 is when we put pressure on a system. After the pressure is lifted, that system goes back to its original form. Anti-fragility takes this idea a step further. You put pressure on a system, it actually grows bigger, stronger. We see anti-fragile systems all around us and within us. For example, our muscular system. We go to the gym and we lift weights. We're putting pressure on our muscles. What happens as a result? We actually grow stronger. 
we're an anti-fragile system. On the psychological level, you know what that's called? PTG, post-traumatic growth. So where post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, is about breaking down, post-traumatic growth is about growing stronger. As a result of pressure, stress, it's anti-fragility. The role of the science of happiness is to teach us what conditions we can put in place to increase the likelihood of growing from hardship. Mike, I mean, this is, I think Tal Ben-Shahar must be a moonshot listener if he's not yet a member, I don't know. But I mean, this seems bang on with where we go with the moonshot show, doesn't it? It it really, really does. And um, I think it's so easy to to sit in our minds and think, oh, everything is so hard. Like, you know, I, 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 for me, it's the build of, oh, work. Oh, I have to work on, uh, you know, supporting, uh, my parents. Oh, then I have my partner. Oh, then I have kids. Like everything is calling on me. It's like, it's work, 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 work. And it's very easy to kind of almost spiral, uh, and just say, why is it, why is it so hard? Right. Why do I have to fight so hard to actually get on the other side? And I think we all suffer a little bit from that. Don't you like, just like, it feels like life is permanently like work in progress. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you're always, uh, when you're in that mindset and I've, I've certainly been there as, as we all do, you're looking for the next relief aren't you? The Mm. next attainment, the next thing that you can tick off the list and move on. And I think where Tal is leading us here is to not always try and turn the page, try and get to the next thing, get through it, grin and bear it. And, you know, maybe take it out on others because you're feeling a little bit low or unhappy along the way. Instead, what he's really calling out with this idea of post-traumatic growth and this this resilience 2.0 from Taleb's anti-fragility is this embracing, the embracement, I suppose, of those experiences (laughs) and those challenges that come along the way, which I think, Mike, you and I are both thinking the same thing. It's Yoko Willink again, isn't it? Yeah. Challenge. And and we're so... um, tempted to avoid challenge, struggle, and pain. And uh, Tal Ben-Shahar uh, says in the book that the, the pain associated with the fear of failure, you know, fear, is often stronger than the pain of failure itself. I could believe that. Yeah. How, how often? I mean, we're our own worst enemies, aren't we? Mm-hmm. It's, it's Mark Manson with the subtle art of not giving a, a woohoo, mm-hmm. you know, we, we are often, uh, we have more pain within our minds as we're fearing potential experience more so than the actual experience itself. When you shift yeah. your mindset towards maybe embracing those painful experiences and instead you're getting something out of it, you're learning how you respond to a challenge mm. where you might be able to grow Mm. then suddenly it becomes almost, dare I say, fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Like for me, it's like as soon as you don't resist pain, struggle, and hardship and just say, oh, um, that is part of life. Like once you accept that it happens and then as a build on that, then you say, oh, and that is really the path to reward and satisfaction because everything that you fight for feels really good. Mark Manson talked about that a lot in the show we did on him. It is um, something that Joe Rogan talked about a lot. Who wants to win the lottery? Because actually if you really earned it and did the work, how good is the, the the millions, the rewards that come from the hard work? And uh, there's this great idea from, from uh, Mark Twain where he says, I've experienced a great deal of pain and suffering in my life, most of which has never happened. Uh, oh, I like that. How, how good is that? <laughs> but, but it's so true, isn't it? It's so I think true. We're, I think we're just allergic uh, in mm. many ways to, to pain and challenge what we have learned, whether it's Goggins or here today with Tal Ben Shahar, just accepting that it happens. Life is hard. It is not easy. Pleasure is not a default, right? Mm. As mm. soon as you do that, you've changed your expectations and said, all right, so it's going to be a little tricky. It's going to be hard. I'm going to have to soldier on. There'll be times when I feel like stopping, but I can't. I need to go through it. The beauty of if you accept that, what we all know, like to use what, uh, you know, Tal Ben-Shahar was talking about, you're in the gym and you're working out and you're uh, really going for it with the weights. You can feel how hard this is on your muscles. And we know that technically there's a sort of a tearing of the muscles and that's why the day after you feel sore because the muscle is growing back but it grows back stronger. So this mm. is the next big point. So if you accept the pain, then you can be prepared to get the reward on the other side. So let's have a listen to Tao Ben-Shahar talking about what's on the other side. You can essentially situate all our experiences on a continuum. So we have the, you know, on the, on, on the ups, on the positive side, we have, you know, joy and, and success and, and fun and, and gains. And on the, you know, then we have the neutral and then on the, on the negative side, we would have uh, pain and sorrow and struggles and anxiety. And most people think that dealing with happiness is about dealing with the, the, the upside when things are going well. Um, however, happiness, the science of happiness can help no less when things are not going well. So yeah, it can help us go from a five to a seven. It can also help us deal with the, with the negative five and the negative seven. And in order to understand that, we need to understand uh, an idea that was introduced just a few years ago by uh, Nassim Taleb. Nassim Taleb is a professor at NYU, and um, he talks about the idea of anti-fragility. Um, and what is anti-fragility? You know, as, as, as I've studied it, I've come to call it resilience 2.0. So, you know, so what is resilience 1.0, traditional resilience, so to speak? Actually, a term that comes from engineering. And it's the ability of a material, of something to go back to its original form after pressure has been put on it. So we have, you know, a piece of rubber, we squish it, put pressure on it. It's resilient. It goes back. Or we have a ball. We drop it. It bounces back. This is what resilience is about, bouncing back. Anti-fragility takes that a step further. 
So if you put pressure on a system, it doesn't just go back to where it was before. It goes to a better, stronger, higher place. So you squish material, it goes back and becomes bigger. You throw a ball, it bounces back up higher than it was before. Now, the thing about anti-fragility is that we see anti-fragile systems all around us. You know, I'll give you a, j- just one example or two examples, one physiological, one psychological. The physiological example is your muscles, your muscular system. You go to a, a gym and you lift weights and you're putting pressure on your, uh, on, on your uh, muscles. As a result of that pressure, you go once, you go twice, a week later, you go again and again. As a result of the pressure that you're putting on the system, it doesn't just go back to where it was before. You actually get stronger, bigger, healthier. That's potentially an anti-fragile system. So this is physiologically. Psychologically, we also see it. You know, so um, most of my students in in my classes, most not all, are uh, psychology majors. And I always ask them this question. And and usually I'm not the first psychology class that, that, that they take. So I asked them the following question. I said, put your hand up if you know what uh, PTSD is. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. The overwhelming majority of students, psychologists or not, put their hand up. Then I said to them, okay, great. Put your hand down. I have another question. Now I'd like you to put your hand up if you know what PTG is. Now, I'm sure many people from this audience know what PTG is. The overwhelming majority of my students have no clue. PTG, post-traumatic growth. Now, here is the thing. According to the research by Tedeschi and Calhoun, PTG is twice as likely to happen as PTSD. Twice as likely if, and this is a very big if. First, you know about the possibility, the existence of PTG. So if you don't know about this possibility, well, then it's unlikely to or less likely to happen. The second thing, it's to know what conditions you can put in place in order to increase the likelihood of PTG. You cannot guarantee PTG. Sometimes trauma does lead to to PTSD, to disintegration. However, if you know what conditions to put in place, you can increase the likelihood, significantly increase the likelihood of growing from trauma. I mean, Mike, again, this is a really interesting breakdown and reveal as we are within our Happier and Happiness series of the concept of what it means to A, struggle and find things quite difficult, but also B, come out the other side and maybe B, that little bit more happier or at least comfortable with the experience that you've gone through. Yeah. And what he goes into in the book is these five key areas that you can explore with PTG, like how you can grow after like a real challenge, hardship, trauma, whatever it is. I mean, I think the, um, the first let's, let's, let's have some fun with this, Mike. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll get in the locker room and let's, let's, pep ourselves up and all of our listeners. I think you go through something really tough. Okay. Um, the first thing you can do is just say, I survived. Like Mm. there is growth in that idea. Like if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And, um, 
I really relate to that when you do like a really intense or long physical exercise and you really push yourself. Once you've got across the finish line, you're like, dang, I'm still alive and I did it. Like I recently did a marathon and my wife posted, yep, first marathon done, no heart attack, still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) We shared it with all our friends. But but there's so much truth that you can appreciate that you went to your boundary. Maybe if you were Goggins, like you went through what you thought was your boundary and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is amazing. Like after some enormous challenge, you can just have an appreciation for life itself, right? Mm, mm. And, and I think the same is true uh, perhaps to a less clear or, uh, you know, transparent extent when you do struggle with things, um, in your career, you know, I think you're totally right with the, with the physical element, but I think it's true from the psychological piece as well, isn't it? Whereby Mm -hmm. you are relieved to have survived, you know, it sounds a little bit dramatic, but, uh, I survived that project or I survived that experience of working with so-and-so. And yes. it can help as you, <laughs> as you reflect back on it, can't it? And, you know, the second part is it's all about relationships as well. So, you know, mm. very often we go about these things um, with others. We're in it. It's a team sport. Life is a team sport. So you can look at each other and say, hey, we did it. So not only I survived, but we did it together. And you can appreciate the bond and the companionship that you have with those But, you know, very much what, uh, you know, first time marathon runners experience is like, holy hell, I didn't know I could do that. What else have I previously thought impossible that now might be possible? If you had said to me a year ago, I was going to run a marathon, I'd be like, no way, Jose. But now that I've done it, I'm like, oh, what else? Um, And then you can start to say, well, you know, if I built a system to go and do a marathon or work on a really hard project, well, then you know in yourself that you're battle ready. So you can bring almost a confidence from say something in your personal life or on the sports field, you can bring that to your professional life because you know, you have that inner strength. It doesn't matter whether it's work or or uh, personal or on the sports field, it's all coming from the same place, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, it really, really is. That personal strength is something that you can control. And if you know and are comfortable with where you can lean towards and you know that you can rely on yourself to experience and therefore get through a particularly difficult patch, I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty encouraging, isn't it, Mike? And I think that yeah. in turn leads to uh, where the, the fifth outcome of uh, Ben uh, Shahar's work on post-traumatic growth is this spiritual change because then it can lean into either an area of, you know, faith, or it can in turn lead into an area of increased happiness. And the, maybe if, if happier is the uh, all encompassing word, it's comfort. It is the acceptance that where I am right now is good. I'm happy. I'm pleasant. And it's that appreciation of and gratitude of the now, which I think is, is something again that we've really delved into with, um, 
you know, all of the work we've done on being gratitude and in the moment. And mm. I think this is one of the big ahas when we're digging into bench ahas happier is the fact that we can learn these, you know, potential patterns that you mm-hmm. see when you're doing something really difficult, like let's say a marathon training, knowing that at the end you might have this uh, newfound appreciation for yourself or life or maybe others is going to help you and stay motivated throughout that experience of challenge prior to the event, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we, we use the idea of a marathon just because it seems so daunting and all of that, but it could be a project. It could be, um, something you do at home, something with friends, with your community, or it could be in the, in the office with your, your colleagues. I think the point here is after going through a challenge and, you know, to use this marathon analogy, it is traumatic on the body. The body is like, you're running 42 kilometers uh, for three or four hours. Are you mad? <laughs> the body is like, <laughs> what are you doing? This is bonkers. And, um, you know, those th- that last uh, five or 10 kilometers, those last five miles, oh boy, on your first marathon, do you meet the maker? You're just like, whoa, this is hard. But the sense of completeness that you have at the end because it is such an intense endeavor, the, the satisfaction and fulfillment uh, when you finally can stop knowing that you just gave it your all is epic, awesome, worthwhile. And that's what we just can learn from Tao Ben Shahar. We should train ourselves on a two-step process, except that it's not all going to be easy and that there's going to be hard work. And the other side of the hard work, the challenge, even maybe the trauma of it, we are stronger for it. And if we can hold that to be true, we can fight off, you know, that those survival instincts of take the easy path, cut the corner. You don't need to because all sorts of goodness is there. And Mark, something that's not nearly as daunting is uh, leaving a review for the Moonshots podcast, but it is equally rewarding, wouldn't you say? I mean, the reward, if we start at the uh, the act, you know, it's quite a simple little process, isn't it, Mike? If you listeners are enjoying what you're hearing and learning uh, out loud with myself and Mike and the Moonshots team, pop along into your podcast app of choice and leave us uh, a review or even a rating. Uh, you can do that in the Apple Podcast app. You can leave us some comments and also you can leave a rating within Spotify too. And this really, really helps, Mike, uh, the result of that input, which is getting out into the ears of more listeners around the world. We hear from uh, listeners and, and fans very, very regularly from all four corners of the globe. And Mike, I mean, it gives us so much motivation as well as gratitude, doesn't it? When it comes Mm. to creating the show, when we're hearing from our, our, our listeners, because we really are just trying to put out a product into the world that is providing some benefits, some information on happiness, productivity, motivation. We're learning out loud and we're glad that listeners from all over the globe are learning out loud with us every single week. But it really comes down to the customers and you guys and the listeners just giving us a little rating or a review because it does that algorithmic work, doesn't it, Mike? Oh, it's 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 like it starts a snowball effect and, you know, 
Uh, in the last week, we've had um, lots and lots of new listeners from, wait for this, this is what a collection of countries, Norway, India, Singapore, Hungary, Slovenia, Vietnam, Estonia, Nepal. Like how awesome is that? That because you guys get in there, you give us a, a thumbs up, you give us a star, a rating or a review. This helps us to be discovered by people all around the planet. So thank you so much. And if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, open up the app right now. It literally, I think it's like a, a three to five second process. Give us some love because we get love back. And that is what it's all about. Now, as we kind of turn our minds, we've, we've kind of learned that there is a certain need to get over challenge, to get over hardship, to get through the pain and the trauma, because on the other side, uh, there's all sorts of goodness. And what is really important now that we're discovering this system from Tal Ben-Shahar is we're going to go next level into some key steps that you can take in the pursuit of happiness. Now, there is a paradox when it comes to pursuing happiness. On the one hand, we know that happiness is a good thing, whether in and of itself or as a means toward other ends. At the same time, we also know from research by Iris Moss and others that people who say to themselves, happiness is important for me, I want to pursue it. Those individuals actually end up being less happy. In fact, the more likely to experience depression. So the paradox is that on the one hand, happiness is clearly a good thing. On the other hand, valuing it as a good thing is problematic. So what do we do? The way to resolve this paradox is that we pursue happiness indirectly. Think about sunlight. So if I look at the sun directly, it's going to hurt my eyes. However, if I break down sunlight into its elements, into its constituents, I can look at the colors of the rainbow. So I'm indirectly looking at the sunlight, enjoying it, savoring it. In the same way, pursuing happiness directly can cause more harm than good. But breaking it down into its elements can lead us to enjoy the indirect pursuit of happiness, and by extension, to raise our overall levels of happiness. What are the metaphorical colors of the rainbow when it comes to happiness? Here we have what I've come to call the spire model, and it can trigger the anti-fragile system. SPIRE is an acronym that stands for spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and finally, emotional well-being. Spirituality is about finding a sense of meaning and purpose in life, at work and at home. If you wake up in the morning with a purpose, you're more likely to overcome barriers. When it comes to physical well-being, the most important idea to look at is stress, the silent killer. In the United States, more than half of the employees do not use up their vacation time. And even those that do, close to half are still tethered to their work. The problem is not the stress, it's the lack of recovery. With intellectual well-being, 
There's research showing that people who are curious, who ask questions, are not just happier, they also live longer. Another important element is not just asking questions, it's deeply engaging with material. It can be text, a work of art, even nature. Relational well-being is very important. The number one predictor of happiness is quality time we spend with people we care about and who care about us. And it turns out the number one condition that we can put in place to increase the likelihood of anti-fragility, of growing through hardship, is the quality of our relationships. Finally, emotional well-being. So embracing painful emotions is critical, but how do we then cultivate pleasurable ones? Specifically, the emotion of gratitude. Cicero talked about gratitude as the mother of all virtues. When we appreciate the good in our life, we have more of it. So happiness is much more than pleasure. Happiness is whole being. These five elements together create that sunlight, happiness. I don't think there is a point before which one is unhappy, after which one is happy. Rather, happiness resides on a continuum. It's a lifelong journey. And knowing that, we can have realistic rather than unrealistic expectations about what is possible. I do not think that things necessarily happen for the best. However, we can learn to make the best of things that happen. Oh, um, Mike, I mean, what a what an epic clip that we have within <laughs> this show. I mean, Mike, we so could have done a whole show just on that clip, right? Yeah. <laughs> we really, really oh. could have because, I mean, we're going to try and break down as much as we can, right? But the thing that stands out right away to me, Mike, which I think is is something to start with, is actually something that Tao says right towards the end of the clip, which is the fact that happiness happy inverted commas or feeling content is a lifelong journey. And once we have that in mind, we realize that we aren't rushing towards it. We're not waking up every morning feeling unhappy because we're not happy. Instead, once you accept that it's something you just have to work on, like anything, like a muscle, like anything you have to put into practice, it suddenly, I, I personally think, feels more achievable. And instead of judging yourself and how you're feeling today, perhaps, instead you're looking into ways and habits and mechanics that can help you get that little bit closer towards that, that as destination rather mm. than trying to be unhappy with where you are right now. How do, how do you hear from that? Well, I think um, a big theme in his pursuit of happiness is resetting expectations. Mm. And I know this is something that I'm coming back to a lot in the show, but I think this is where it all starts. Not having, and perhaps I was a victim of this, and that's why it's really jumping out at me, is the reality of what he's saying is like, just be prepared for the harder path. It's not going to come easy. It's not going to come instantly, but it's something that you have to kind of build daily habits for. Um, 
And when I look at his Spire, uh, these five steps, we'll, we'll have a link to these in the show notes, which you can get at moonshots.io. I mean, this is what a playbook. Like, let me just play it back to you. Like, you know, leading a meaningful life and mindfully saving the present, caring for the body, engaging in deep learning, nurturing constructive relations, feeling all emotions. Um, Mark, I, I think there's so many great starting points to feeling more satisfied, not only with life, but just joy in your day and a bit of fulfillment for the longer term. What I was wondering, should we try and nail five habits uh, mm. to unlock these five steps? Uh, are you ready? Oh, yes. All right. Here's your challenge. Name me one moonshot habit to get a more meaningful life and mindfully savoring the present. Uh, I think, Mike, <clears throat> unfortunately, I'm going to be stealing the one that you probably wanted to say, which is reflection. Yeah. It's journaling. It's what totally. we heard with Matthew McConaughey last week in the show yeah. and what we're hearing from Tal. If you don't give your time to recover, mm-hmm. you're not necessarily getting the most out of it. Very good. Uh, f- for the physical, this is the P of the Spire framework. Uh, what's one habit you could uh, adopt, a, a moonshot habit, uh, caring for the body and tapping into the mind-body connection? I mean, it's got to be exercise, hasn't it? It definitely does. And if that's too much for you, you could throw in a little bit of uh, breathing uh, work, a bit of breath breathing. work, yep. right? Yep. Four, seven, Absolutely. eight breath work, very good for connecting mind and body. Okay, intellectual. So we're at the I of the SPI. R-E, Spire Framework, engaging in deep learning. Well, that would have to be listening to moonshots, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's it's learning something new every day. You know, Robin Sharma, when, we'd, uh, when we broke down his 5am club, one of the core pillars of his stru- uh, strategy was to learn. Yes. You know, learn something new every day. doesn't matter what time it is. You don't all have to wake up at 5am, mm-hmm. but it's learning something new each day allows you to have curiosity and um, encourage your brain to keep on ticking. Relational. This is the uh, nurturing a constructive relationship with self and others. What would you do there? Well, I, th- I think this is really encouraging us to reach out to those people who are around us, whether it's yeah. teammates or colleagues or partners. And instead of uh, closing them out, maybe it's staying away from your digital mm. space. I mean, obviously, Digital connections are great. Uh, it's important to pick up the phone and message people if they don't know physically around you. But actually having the real life interactions, I think, is what I'm getting from Ben Shahar here. Emotional. This is the last one of the, of the Spire Steps. Feeling all emotions reaching towards resilience and positivity. What would be the habit you would do there? Well, obviously it's coming from um, Eckhart Tolle and the power of now, isn't it? Mm. It's noticing the present. It's Mm. some of the tips that Eckhart had for us, you know, even when you're brushing your teeth, it's the feel of the bristles. Mm. It's maybe the vibration of the toothbrush. It's the taste of the mint, Mm. the coldness of the floor. It's really appreciating your sensory connections to what's happening right here, right now. The chair I'm sitting on, the warmth of the room, Mm. the movement of my laptop screen as you and I are recording this show. That for me, Mike, is is where the emotional connection's coming from. Well, there you go. That's five practical moonshots habits you can do to uh, get your pursuit of happiness with the spy steps from Tal Ben Shahar in order and going in the right way. 
But Mark, we have we have just one more final clip, and it, it's a, it's an absolute cracker. Why don't you set us up for the for the last bit of wisdom from Tal Bencher? Huh? Well, we, we've certainly learned a lot from Tal today with regards to selffulness, the acceptance of pain, and looking um, maybe not directly at the sun, but looking at happiness from a different angle. So let's hear from Tal just one more time today as he breaks down this critical misconception about happiness and his study of happiness. Back in 2015, I was on a transatlantic flight when a question came to mind. How is it that there is a field of study for psychology, philosophy, history, medicine, geography, you name it, and there is no field of study for happiness? Yeah, there is positive psychology, but that's just the psychology of happiness. What about what philosophers like Lao Tzu or Aristotle had to say about it? What about what literature remarked on happiness or neuroscience or theology or economics? Why isn't there an interdisciplinary field of study that looks at life's ultimate highest goal? I resolved on that flight to help create a field dedicated to the study of happiness. There are two main critiques that people have for the field of happiness studies. The first one is that it's superficial. The reason is that they equate happiness with pleasure. So when people say, oh, I went to the beach, I was so happy, or this ice cream just makes me happy. Well, that's not happiness, that is pleasure. Happiness is much more than pleasure. It also includes our ability to deal with painful experiences, finding a sense of meaning and purpose, cultivating healthy relationships, and intellectual development. The second critique of the field of happiness stems from the false understanding that a happy life is a life devoid of painful emotions. It's not, it can never be. Part of a happy life is the vicissitudes of daily life. Overall, happiness includes life's ups and downs. The science of happiness can strengthen our psychological immune system. Because as I see it, the role of the science of happiness is, first of all, to introduce us to concepts like post-traumatic growth, which is growing stronger as a result of hardship. And second, to teach us what conditions we can put in place in our homes, in our organizations, in our schools, in our countries, to increase the likelihood of growing from hardship. Hardship is inevitable. What we do with a hardship, well, here we have a choice. We have a choice, Mark, uh, and that is really how we want to perceive the mindset that we want to have to the ups and downs. And I think what we've heard today is Tal Ben-Shahar has given us quite the roadmap to face those ups and downs. And we don't, we just don't have to start with expectations of perfection, but rather simple habits that we can do every day. I mean, this is on point moonshot kind of stuff, isn't it? Well, isn't it fun that the series of happiness 
is already revealing such uh, new ways of thinking, of reflecting and looking at this concept of happiness, Mike. I mean, it's certainly much more than, as Tao was saying in that final clip, more than just the feeling of pleasure or feeling maybe joyful. Instead, happiness is a journey like anything in life. It's something you put in the practice, the time and the effort, and then you get the result out of it. And I think what's really uh, surprising as we're going through all of these episodes on the concept of happiness is how it's something that we really, really do need to work on both physically as well as mentally. I think this is really uh, enjoyable and revealing, isn't it? It is. And he gave us a new acronym, PTG. Uh, he yep. gave us a framework of five steps, SPIRE. SPIRE. Of, of all of those, which one's getting going to get an extra bit of attention from you, Mark, uh, over Ooh. the coming days? Oh, this is, uh, well, that's actually a pretty challenging one, isn't it? I think it's uh, this reveal that happiness is not um, a one-stop shop. It's something you've got to work on. So I think for me, it's the E with emotional within the spire model, feeling mm. so the emotions, being present, but also working towards that major moonshots mantra of resilience. And that reveal of resilience 2.0 with anti-fragility is such a big takeaway. What about you, Mike? What are you really taking away from today's show? Uh, I think I'm a bit similar to you. Um, that spire, uh, those five steps sound very good. And I think it's all about just setting the right expectations. Um, mm. So lots of work to do there. And um, well, Mark, we're really in the thick of things in happiness. And I just want to say thank you to you in joining me on this adventure where we learn out loud. And I want to thank you, our members and listeners too, for today was a big part, a big step in the happiness journey here on the Moonshots podcast. It was show 192 where we studied the work of Tao ben his book, Happier, Learning the Secrets to Daily Joy and Lasting Fulfillment. And boy, it started with, look, you have to help yourself if you want to help others. And that was the idea of self-full. And part of our journey towards happiness is accepting pain and accepting that there is growth on the other side of challenge. We can appreciate life, relationships, new possibilities, personal strength and personal and spiritual change. It's all there on the other side of any challenge. So we can lead a much more fulfilling life, a life that is those five key steps, spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotionally good. They can be both good in the long term and daily habits in the short term because we're going to need them because life will be full of ups and downs. But if we hold true to the science of happiness from Tal Ben-Shahar, we will be able to learn out loud together. We'll be able to be the best version of ourselves. And by the way, that's what we're all about here at the Moonshots Podcast. That's a wrap.